0: Race to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. But dear friends in Christ, this doesn't sound like the loving Jesus that we are so used to hearing, does it? Something along the lines of hating your father and your mother? I thought the commandment said that we are to honor our father and our mother. Doesn't sound right. Or the fact that he tells us we have to hate not just our father and our mother, but our wife and our children and our brothers and our sisters. It doesn't sound like Jesus. Or then he says, yes, you must hate even your own life. How does that jive with the idea that I have to love my neighbor as much as I love myself? Excuse me. That hasn't happened in a while. That doesn't sound like our Jesus. Hatred doesn't sound like a loving God. Does it? For the clue of what we're going through, we've got to look at really a whole bunch of stuff. But for today, we'll just look at the Old Testament and the Epistle lesson to kind of bring those in. If you look at what Moses was saying to the people of Israel as they gathered around the mountains, The idea was that they worship their one true God, and him alone. And not only that, but to do the things that he's told them to do. And if they do that, then he will give them life. And his plea to them, God's plea through Moses to them was, choose life. Now I know that gets ripped out of context a lot for our pro-life stuff, and I understand that, but... The idea here is follow after God in order to inherit eternal life. Or follow after the gods of your own making or the gods of the other nations that are of their making and you will not have life, but you will have eternal death. So do the thing that God has told you to do and live. Or don't and die. Okay. Now, if you look at what Paul writes to Philemon, Philemon was the pastor of this church. Obviously, this was going on. He had a servant, Onesimus. The story, the idea is that Onesimus seems to have stolen something and run away out of slavery, because that was his main point, was to get out of slavery. And he made his way all the way to Rome, where he encountered and imprisoned Paul. And Paul was preaching to him, and Onesimus converted to Christ. And Onesimus was now sent back to Philemon, his old master. Onesimus was to bow his head before his master, present to him this letter, and give himself over to Philemon for whatever punishment Philemon saw fit to do. Now, Paul was certainly pleading that he spare Onesimus' life, because running out of slavery, the consequence was death. The fact that a slave willingly returns to his master to set things right is not a testament to the strength of Onesimus. But it is a testament to the faith granted to him by Jesus Christ. For in Jesus Christ, we want to do the will of God. We want to do the right thing. And Onesimus knew he would never be set right with God in his conscience if he did not give himself back to his master who he had wronged, to try to go back and make recompense for his sins, not in the eternal realm, but in the temporal realm, to set right what he had done. Actually, as the story goes, at least it seems Onesimus became ultimately the bishop and ruled over the churches in that area for quite a long time. Seems finally even spared his life, which is good. What does that have to do then with this? To hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters. This is not contradicting the law of God. It is not. This idea of hate is not necessarily what we put into it. When we think of hatred, I think it's really easy to think of people on the other side of the political spectrum and how we hate them or they hate us. We just had a presidential speech this week that made very clear that on the liberal side of things, there's a lot of hatred for Republicans. And we had a lot of Republican responses this week that showed, well, on their side, they hate a lot of the Democrats. Hatred runs rampant. It's a seething anger. Because someone is different than us. That kind of hatred is sinful. God's law makes that clear. We're to speak kindly of our neighbor, explain everything in the kindest way. So, how does that jive with hating everybody, including yourself? It doesn't actually go with the law, it goes with the promise. If you do all that I have commanded you to do, if you follow after me, God says through Moses, then I shall surely give you life. And if you don't, if you follow after the false gods, worship them and serve them, then you will have death. What Jesus is pulling out here is not an idea that we have to go actively hating our Father and all these other people. You don't walk up to people and say, I hate you, I'm not having anything to do with you, goodbye, and walk out the door. That's not it. We hate them in the way that we would hate false gods if they stand in the way between us taking up our cross and following after Jesus. That's it. If you do not take up your cross and follow after Jesus, he says, you cannot be his disciple. And who would stop you from following him? Would it be your father or your mother, your wife, your husband, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your family? If it's even you, you are to hate them as you would a false god, as a blasphemer. As something unholy, standing on holy ground. That does not mean that you get to eke out punishment upon them. But you look at them as a a stumbling block, as an obstacle in your way. Something to step around, step over, move. So that you can take up your cross and follow in the very footsteps of Jesus as he trod his way to that hill of Golgotha. That's what taking up your cross is. I think a lot of times we think of taking up our crosses as just the trials and tribulations of this world. And certainly that's part of it. But that's where we draw it. We draw our line in the sand right there. And we say, that's how far God wants me to go. I bear up under the trial and tribulation. But what about everything else? After all, Jesus carrying his cross was certainly trialsome. And troublesome. It was a tribulation. it was hard, it was difficult, it was painful. But where did the cross lead him? To take up your cross and follow after Christ is not just to seriously bear something for a while, but it is to go to death. That's the cost of discipleship. is the giving up even of yourself into death for others. And if anybody would stand in your way of doing that, then they are no better than a false God standing in the place of the one true God. We don't give up our lives in order to win God's favor. That's not it. We don't pick up our cross and follow after Jesus to win God's favor. Picking up our cross and following after him is God's favor upon you. He gives you your trials. He gives you your tribulations. He gives you the troubles of this world, the stumbling blocks and the obstacles. He gives you these as gifts. I know, it's a weird thought. God does not rejoice in evil, but certainly he does use it. And he uses these things to turn your hearts to him. He uses these things to show you that you must rely on him. These are gifts, my friends. Anything that puts us closer to God, to understanding him more, to seeing him more, to relying on him more, to trusting him more, anything is in that way a gift from God. That's God's favor. Doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun when we're going through it. We've all lost spouses and family members. We've all had big health scares and other kinds of things happening in our lives. These things are gifts. I know it's hard to hear because we don't see that that way right now. Maybe you've come to see it that way, and that's a blessing. We have to constantly move our eyes, move our hearts to understanding the blessing that comes through whatever it is that God puts in our lives. In all circumstances, we rejoice in our content. It's weird. It's hard. But literally, that is what taking up our cross is. For the joy set before him, our Lord endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy set before Jesus to bear the cross was great. While it's true he sweat out blood in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before over the anguish of having to bear up under the wrath of God, he didn't do this against his will. His will was turned toward God's will, his Father's will, and his will was turned towards you. For joy he took on the cross because he knew that good would come out of it. For joy, he took up the cross, that he would be led to a hill and crucified. For joy, he knew that he would be put up there and that he would die and that his death would not be in vain, because for the very joy of God himself, he would save you from your sin and welcome you into everlasting life in his resurrection. Jesus knew That this was the joy of God that he would die on the cross and so it was his joy. And if we are to follow in the example of Christ. If we are to follow in the example of Paul who followed in the example of Christ. If we are to follow in the footsteps of the apostles and the saints and the martyrs. Who followed in the example of Paul who followed in the example of Christ. Then for joy we also bear our crosses. We follow after Jesus, and we are his disciples. For joy, we do this. That is why we must despise anything that stands in our way. Not because we hate the person, but we hate that they would stop us from the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. We don't look at the person and kick them to the curb. We preach the gospel to them because God desires that no one should perish. He desires even the unbeliever would believe. And so we continue to work with them. But we do not let them stand on the way of us going to our cross. We cannot. Because that is the joy that God has set before us. And it is a difficult road to hold, my friends. It is. It is a costly road. I mean, Jesus even tells us, which of us desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Maybe we want to say, which of us needing a new roof on our house does not first sit down and find out what it's going to cost? Because if you get halfway through and you run out of money, then not only will your house be leaking the next time that it rains, but everyone is going to sit there and mock you as the old biddy who couldn't finish the job. Or, what king goes out into war without first finding out if his small army can defeat the large army? To find out what it's going to cost. To find out if it can be done. In the first parable, we find that the cost of discipleship is great. It is, in fact, too great. But it's great, it's big, it's going to be hard going to give us everything. If we enter into the discipleship of Jesus and we think that life is easy, then we've got a problem. C.S. Lewis famously said, if you'd like to be happy, if you'd like life to be easy, then I certainly do not recommend Christianity. It's true. The cost of discipleship is great, even if it must be that you separate from those who would otherwise be stumbling blocks for you, those people that you love. If they get between you and Christ... And you have to move past them. That is a huge cost. In the second parable, I think we find a little bit more of a clearer image of what's happening between us and God. Not just between us and others. We look at God and we see that he's coming at us with an army that is greater than anything that we could bring. We do not dare go against his army. But instead, we send our messengers and we sue for peace. And that messenger that's suing is Jesus himself. You see, we find ourselves on that road of discipleship, and it is a costly road. It's a hard road. But yet, it is a road that is filled also with peace, because the Lord has won peace from his Father on your behalf see all this is starting to work together that's why we just sang this hymn how clear is our vocation lord you might wonder what has that to do with anything else what vocation are we speaking of the vocation of picking up our cross and following after jesus as his disciple how clear it is that this is what we want that this is what we should be Because indeed, he is the only one who is able to untangle the skein of care. Our God is good. And he has cleared the way for you in Jesus Christ. You are, my friends, the salts of the earth. You can't lose your saltiness unless you reject Christ. As long as you are following after him, you are good. You are holy. You are blessed. Not by your works, but because you have that declaration of Jesus over and upon you. That you are accepted in the sight of God. It's not that we need to go out and hate those who hate us. I'm pretty sure Jesus has some words very much to the contrary. But we hate those who stand in the way of us being disciples of Jesus, following after him, keeping who we are, our identity as what we are. We hate them, and again, not in the way that we're going out and trying to hurt them or kick them to the curb or cast them out of our lives, but we hate them as we would hate a false God that demands that we worship them only, We look at them and we find no value in their claim. We look at them and we discount anything that they bring to us because our Lord is the God of truth. He tells us, pick up your cross and follow after me and be my disciple. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.